looking to sound like you know what's going on in the world? Pop culture, social strategy, comedy, and other funny stuff? Well, join the club and settle in for the Jeff Dwoskin Show. It's not the podcast we deserve, but the podcast we all need with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. All right, Sammy. Thank you very much for that amazing introduction. You get us going each and every week. Welcome, everybody, to the final episode of 2020, episode 34 of the Jeff Dwoskin Show. I can't thank you enough for coming back week after week. And here we are, ending the year together. And we're ending it strong. I've got an amazing guest, John Iman. He was a child actor in the 50s and 60s. He's going to talk to us about that experience. It's a great conversation. He was on The Untouchables, Leave it to Beaver, Wagon Train, and my favorite show of all time. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, the original Twilight Zone. Great stories coming up with John Iman in just a little bit. You know what else had great stories? Last week's Christmas episode with Scott Schwartz from A Christmas Story. If you haven't checked that one out, definitely check that episode out. We talk a lot about Kid Co., Christmas Story, The Toy, great stories about Richard Pryor, Jackie Gleason, and so much more with Scott Schwartz. That's episode 33. Check that out. I also want to thank everyone for all your constant support of The Jeff Dwoskin Show. It means the world to me. If you haven't already, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, don't forget to share it with a friend. Tell a friend. It's the greatest New Year's and holiday gift you can give them is the gift of The Jeff Dwoskin Show. That's right. Just when you see their eyes sparkle, you know you did good in this world. So brighten someone's 2020 at the last minute and tell them to subscribe to The Jeff Dwoskin Show. Also, go to our website, jeffisfunny.com. Join our mailing list. That's right. Be on the cutting edge of everything Jeff Dwoskin, Jeff Dwoskin Show. We got so much going on. I want to keep everyone aware of the special episodes and live shows and all that good stuff. So go to jeffisfunny.com. Also, check out our YouTube channel, The Jeff Duoskin Show on YouTube. It's one of the best places to watch the live show that I do every Wednesday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern. The live show is called Crossing the Streams. I do it with my buddies Ron Lippett, Howard Rosner, Bob Phillips, and Sal D'Amelio. We talk about great shows that you should be streaming. Binge away at all these great suggestions. Our last episode was our biggest one yet. It was the Christmas episode. We talked about Elf, Bad Santa, A Very Brady Christmas, Green Book, and California Christmas. Yeah, I didn't see it either, but Sal did. So check it out. We're live every Wednesday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, crossing the streams. And now it's time for my social media tip. All right. For the end of 2020, I wanted to do a flashback and pick my favorite tip that you may have overlooked, just in case you didn't hear this episode. But I know you've heard every episode. Why wouldn't you have? My favorite social media tip. The one thing I think you all got to be aware of is bookmarks. That's right. Bookmarks. You know I'm on Twitter all the time. You know I love the Twitter. Well, do you know that any one of those tweets, you can just click the share button and click bookmark, and then there's a whole bookmark section under your main area that you can reference at any time. That's right. It's the greatest thing. You see a tweet, you're like, oh, I need to watch that later. You see a video or an article, oh, I need to see that later. Bookmark it. Just bookmark it. You can also save on Facebook. You can bookmark on TikTok or save it to your favorites. That feature 
is the greatest feature across any of the platforms that have it. Instagram has a version of it too. So just use that. It's a great way because you'll never find those things again. You're like, oh, I'll find that again. You'll never find it again. Use the bookmark feature. And that's the social media tip. Since it's the end of the year, it's the end of 2020, I wanted to do something really special for this episode. So, you know, many of you know, I'm a professional stand-up comedian. I've been doing comedy forever. And I happened to be going through some of my old notebooks, and I found notes from a show I did in 2011 where we roasted, on New Year's Eve, we roasted the year 2011. I wanted to read those to you. I figured it's not worth roasting 2020. We've all lived through this horrible, horrible year. There's no reason to make fun of 2020. But let's go back to a simpler time. And I want to share with you some of these jokes from the roast of 2020. It's a full reenactment. I don't actually have any video from that or audio from that night. So I asked my friend Bob Phillips. He's the star of the Sal and Bob show and also one of my co-hosts on Crossing the Streams to do a little introduction. And then I'm going to read to you some of the roasts of 2011. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Jeff Dwoskin Show Comedy Club. I'm your MC, Bob Phillips of the Sal and Bob Show. Wait a minute, was I supposed to plug me? <laughs> well, I guess I just did. Hey, it's 2020, but we're going to go back in time to a simpler place, and Jeff Dwoskin is going to roast the year 2011. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Jeff Dwoskin. <laughs> Oh, thank you, Bob. Thank you all. Please sit down. Sit down. Oh, man. 2011. What a crazy year. Am I right? I was reading about the U.S. Mint officer. He admitted taking $2.4 million in coins. Well, he didn't so much admit it as one day he showed up with really, really large pockets. <laughs> Jay-Z Penny is no longer selling its T-shirt that said, I'm too pretty to do homework, realizing if you're really that pretty, you're probably not shopping at JCPenney's. <laughs> Will and Jada Smith were rumored to be divorcing in 2011. When asked about her parents' split, Willow Smith simply whipped her hair back and forth. <laughs> so just watch the preview for the upcoming movie Battleship. Hollywood, you've sunk my confidence. <laughs> Maria Shriver filed for divorce from Arnold Schwarzenegger. She looked at him and said, I won't be back. <laughs> In the news, I was reading uh, more Tylenol extra strength pills have been recalled after too many men complained their wives' headaches were not disappearing. Kim Kardashian got a butt x-ray to prove she didn't have butt implants. What's sadder, the fact that she did that or that I watched the video a hundred times? <laughs> In June, the hacking group Anonymous infiltrated an Iranian government mail server, stole over 10,000 images of women completely covered up. A lot of buzz around the MSNBC story of a TSA worker who left a note on a woman's vibrator that was in her travel suitcase. Lots of buzz. Then a break. Then more buzz. Another break. More buzz. <laughs> Thank you, 2011. I have been Jeff Dwoskin. See you next year. Oh, wow. 2011. What a simpler time, huh? When the news was just the news. <laughs>
Oh, man. All right. Well, here's to a good 2021. Hmm? Well, it's time for the sponsor. We're excited for this week's sponsor. As always, we hope you support our sponsors like you have in the past. It's what helps us keep the lights on. Week after week, this week's sponsor is the Elite Dry Cleaning Shop. That's right. The Elite Dry Cleaning Shop. Hats, shirts, pants, custom tailoring, Prices that are untouchable. That's right. Suits only 25 cents. Overcoats cleaned and pressed only 30 cents. That's right, folks. A hot press by a machine for only 30 cents. Ask for Mrs. Jansen and tell them that the Jeff Duoskin show sent you. The Elite Dry Cleaning Shop. All right. Well, that's where I take all my clothes. So if you've ever seen a picture of me and you think I look damn good, then you should also check out the Elite Dry Cleaning Shop for all your hat, shirt, suits, pressing needs. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you know what time it is. It's time for my amazing interview with John Iman. All right, I'm excited to introduce everyone to my next guest. It was a child actor in the 50s and 60s on Leave it to Beaver, Ozzie and Harriet, Twilight Zone, Wagon Train, and a million other Shows that we're going to talk to. I want to welcome to the show, John Iman. John. Hi. Hi. Nice to be on with you. Oh, my God. You were like on every show I grew up watching in reruns. <laughs> Great. <laughs> this is so nice to talk to you. I, I love to hear about everything, really. I just, uh, every one of these shows is is uh, is so iconic. Uh, Petticoat Junction. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. There's the uh, Lloyd Bridges show, Love American Style. What got you into acting? You started at such a young age. Yeah. Uh, what happened is uh, we had moved from Chicago, the south side of Chicago, to uh, L.A. when I was about five. After a short time, we moved into the San Gabriel Valley, and my first grade teacher there, her best friend was uh, an agent, a kid's agent. And she often came by the school, and uh, she and my teacher often went out after school for dinner or something. And uh, she saw me at school, and at that time, I had bright, ridiculously bright red hair and uh, the freckles. You know, a really real all-American boy type kid, six years old. And uh, she asked my teacher if maybe she could contact my parents and uh, see about representing me. And my parents were all for it, actually. My mom's kind of that way. She's always been a little bit starstruck. She was glad to go along with it, as as was my dad. So she began sending me out on stuff originally, you know, as an extra for the first year or so. I did the very first episode of Leave it to Beaver. Nobody knew who these kids were, didn't know who the beaver was or anything because it hadn't been on TV yet. So I uh, did that. I was in a classroom scene. And a funny thing with that one, too, uh, being the very first episode, which was Beaver Gets Spelled, as in expelled. <laughs> and uh, uh, I was just sitting across from him uh, in a couple of scenes there. Many years later, my wife and I were watching a movie called, uh, what was it? Waiting for Superman. In that movie, they had that scene. <laughs> so uh, it was kind of funny to see it, you know, this is like night, what, 2015, 2016 or something. So that kind of extended my career up to that age, I guess. But anyway, yeah, so I did uh, a lot of these shows. And many times I would just get called that I would have to be at a certain studio at a certain time. In the case of, uh, you know, working as a an extra, especially, uh, not, uh, not that much was really required. Just show up and be dressed a certain way. 
uh, unless it was uh, Western, where you'd have to go to the uh, Western costume company and be costumed for a show. But anyway, so uh, often it was a spur of the moment deal. A lot of those early shows, Ozzy and Harriet, Fury, Lassie. Uh, the millionaire. A lot of these. Uh, basically, you show you show up and and you do your little bit. You get in your three hours of school, which was required there on the set. So um, it was pretty frenetic there for a while. And uh, parts started getting better when I was about eight or nine. When I started getting featured roles, like with uh, Have Gun Will Travel with Richard Boone, I did a couple episodes of that, and Wagon Train with Theodore Bikel and Ward Bond and some others. So I gradually started getting better parts over time. That's that's awesome. So here's here's uh, here's my question. Yeah. So you're your kid. How old were you when you were on Leave It to Beaver? Uh, first time, six. Okay, so you're on at six. You're shooting it. You have no idea this is going to be a thing, right? You probably, right? right so probably tons of shows get shot and, and still, mm-hmm. and even back then went nowhere. So, okay, but now it is a thing, right? It's yeah. Leave the Beef, the Beef and Wally and Eddie Haskell, <laughs> and, and right? But it's now 19, it's the 50s, right? So yeah. it's, there is no VCRs. There is no, there's no way to tape stuff. You right. either see it or you don't, right? right. So as a kid, a six year old kid, you're like, you know, the show starts going. You're like, it's all of a sudden now popular. Uh, like, how do you go? To, I was on it. Where? The first yeah. episode. I found episode six. I was on the first episode. I was right next to the beef. Can you prove that? I mean, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, unless kids they say. watched it. No. Right. And, uh, unless they were like, watch sitting there going and Johnny. And then the phone rings up. Was that Johnny on the phone? Yeah. <laughs> on the show? <laughs> well, another thing we often did, you know, we had the trade papers and not so much for that. But when I started getting featured roles, my mom would put something in the uh, Hollywood Reporter or the uh, Daily Variety saying, watch Johnny tonight on this or that. And then it was, other than that, it was all uh, word of mouth with my schoolmates and whatnot. So it sounds like your mom was extremely supportive of you if she went yeah. out of her way to do that. That's uh-huh. amazing. That sounds, that's pretty cool. So that much must have made it easier for you. So you yeah. were on, how many times were you on Lassie? One time? Uh, just one time. I've only recently become Facebook friends with uh, John Provost and his wife, Timmy. <laughs> so was Timmy ever actually in the well? <laughs> yeah. Well, he got out somehow. He's doing pretty good now. That was always like, what? Yeah. That, 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 that to me is like the, the funniest kind of <laughs> lasting thing from the show. Woof, 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 woof. What? Yeah, Timmy's yeah. in the well. I, I think he's saying something about the well. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Too funny. Okay, cool. So, okay, now I watched a clip of you on The Untouchables. Oh, yeah. Which, right? So, which was awesome. Now, what bothered me about it is and mm-hmm. on your IMDb, it says you're uncredited. But when I watched the clip, it wasn't like, oh, there's John Iman for one second. John Iman is pretty much yeah. the star of this five, six minute clip you have up there. So, yeah. how do they get away with shafting you as a little kid and not even giving you a credit on the untouchables i'm not happy about that either and uh you know like you said it was a pretty decent part i'm in a few scenes there both with uh, claude akins and then inside the dry cleaners and uh, then later with elliot ness himself identifying the guilty guy they just i don't know what the deal was but i think sometimes that seemed to happen with kids more than with adults Beats me why. That was a Quinn Martin production, too. Uh, the same people who did uh, The Fugitive. 
you know, what can I do about it? <laughs> Another thing that happened to me quite a bit was a misspelling of my name when it got on the credits. I sometimes had it as E-I-M-A-N instead of E-I-M-E-N. This came up pretty recently when last year I was asked by uh, one collector card company to sign some cards for the Twilight Zone. I signed 500 cards with my picture on it for the Twilight Zone series of uh, collector cards. But they said, well, you know what? On the, on the credits at the end, your name is spelled E-I-M-A-N. And I said, well, yeah, that's true. You know what? Maybe you should keep it the same way. Keep it E-I-M-A-N. It doesn't matter that much to me. So that it would be consistent with the credits if they ever went back and checked it out. I can, I can see where they'd make that mistake. I was going to say that it was a stinking double cross. Yeah, right. You're gonna... <laughs> that they left you off the untouchable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But but seriously, like you were like, is pivotal. You were more than Robert uh, uh, had more to do in that than Robert Stack did. I mean, yeah. that particular clip. I mean, so I, yeah. I would, we should, we need to start an internet campaign or something. We need to. Right. I mean, you got to work with Claude Aikens there. I mean, that was. Uh, that was great. And uh, if I didn't already know who he was, I would hear it from my mom because uh, she was so up on all the different people. And she'd sometimes let me know in advance, oh, you know, you're going to be working with, you know, Claude Aikens and he was in this and that. Some I would have known anyway. Frank Sinatra I worked with and Louis Armstrong and Danny Kaye and people like that. Just in case my mom usually uh, kept me clued in about who they were. Yeah, because the, the Untouchables, the whole time I'm thinking like, so just so everyone knows, the clip is Claude Atkins is a mob guy. He gives uh, John's character, um, <laughs> character's name was Albert in the show. Yeah. It gives him pants and, the, and he just takes the pants uh, to get the dry cleaner. He's like, my old man needs this to be dry cleaned. And then they cut away and the dry cleaner pulls the thing down on the pants and it explodes. Like, it, so it, I guess it kills the guy. But the yeah. whole time I'm thinking to myself, that's, <laughs> that's pretty heavy actually, yeah. because the whole concept, the, the whole thing I kept thinking, maybe because I have kids is like, oh my God, that would have just destroyed a boy yeah. to know he just was on, you know, for a quarter, just accidentally got yeah. that guy killed. So and I it was didn't like, get the other, he was going to give me another quarter. That's what really got me. I never got that second quarter. I think that's why I turned him in. Another stinking double crown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was a hard show for me because uh, we were under a lot of pressure to get to that scene where they're going to blow up that uh, dry cleaners. And my scene, we were filming just before that. And I was having a heck of a time getting out some of the lines. And so Howard Koch was the director. He became much more famous as a producer later on, but he was really pushing me to get out the lines correctly. And I was having a tough time with that. It was a lot of pressure. It worked out okay. And then I got to go over to the side after we finally got it done. And I got to watch them actually blow up that dry cleaners. So that made it all worthwhile. That, that must have been really cool. Was yeah. that one of your, is that like one of your more, like, is that, would you count that as one of your more memorable things? It's probably one of the few that you have clips for it too, right? Uh, yeah, met- well, actually, uh, over the years, I've been able to get quite a bit. Here and there, I'd find something where a collector would have it, and I'd be able to get, you know, some scenes. Like, Have Gun Will Travel. I did a couple of those with uh, pretty decent parts, too. And some others as well. So uh, I've gotten to the point where maybe about 90% of the stuff I did, I have a clip of some kind. Well, that's cool. Did anyone else in your family ever go into acting? Like your kids or anyone? No, <laughs> like- no, none of them did. Uh, my, uh going to say my, my sister, when she got a little older, uh, she was a go-go dancer. That's about as close to showbiz as she got. 
my oldest brother studied to be a priest, and that's another kind of performance art, I guess. But he eventually left seminary and had four kids. Yeah, I'm the only one in my family. And, uh, you know, after a long, drawn-out story, but, uh, you know, after all my years of working, eventually I ended up going to Japan for 10 years. Married over there. Both of my kids were born over there. When we did come back to the States, we went to Seattle rather than L.A. So we weren't really in that scene to where even if they had wanted to, I don't think it would have been as easy as it was for me. Got it. So back to you, though. (laughs) (laughs) You were on Ozzy and Harriet a good handful of times. Yeah, four times. And then what was that like? That what? That what was? Uh, what was that set like? Who did? Who did you uh, get to connect with there? And well, uh, I, that was the very first show I ever did, and it was a Christmas special. Ozzy was dressed up as Santa Claus, and he's handing out presents, and I'm one of the kids he gives a present to. Lyle Talbot, who was also in it, he uh, was like the neighbor. He was in a lot of episodes of that. I later worked with his son. Stephen Talbot in a few different shows, Twilight Zone, McKeever and the Colonel. And uh, so just being on the set, that was my very first time to be in that environment. And I was six, pretty clueless about what was going on. But So you, you mentioned Frank Sinatra. Was that Ocean's Eleven? You know, that was a funny one because uh, I had a pretty good scene in that movie, the original Ocean's Eleven. And I took a couple of my friends to see it when it opened. And they cut my part out. I was on the cutting room floor, so I never got to be in the movie itself. But I didn't know that when I brought them there to see it. So they figured I'm just telling them, telling them a tale or something. I don't know. Were you like, I swear, it was Ocean's 12. Yeah, right. it was, <laughs> we were good friends. I was on his lap. There were 12 of us. And like... And then they cut me. They cut me out, and they made it Ocean's Eleven. Ah, another yeah. stinking double cross. I did other stuff with him too. I did a, a Frank Sinatra special, Thanksgiving special, live Hollywood at the El Capitan Theater with special guest Dean Martin, and I got to watch the rehearsals and everything which was pretty cool. But my little thing, again, I was really small at the time. I was on stage with him while he was singing, what was it called? That's America to me, the house I live in. He's singing it, and I've got my back to the audience, kind of in the shadow, but I'm looking right at him while he sings the song on the stage, and that was pretty cool. I got to do that, and I did another show with him, too. He had a drama. What was it? I think it was called A Gun at His Back, where he did a drama. I think for a year or so, he had a weekly thing where sometimes he did a live TV show, and other times he did like a filmed program. And this is one where he played a cab driver. Again, it was just a little part, but I got to be there. The same with working with uh, Danny Kay and Louis Armstrong on a special. I got to watch the rehearsals of that when they uh, were practicing When the Saints Go Marching In, doing a duet. My bit with him was back then, I guess it was pretty common that they would do a little thing like doing the song. And then he'd walk over to the side and he'd break into a commercial where he's actually talking. It was a commercial for GM. Me and maybe three other kids uh, were talking to him about the many cars available through GM. And he's reading. And they had warned me in advance. They said, no, 
don't get freaked out if he doesn't give you your exact cue. So I'm waiting for my, you know, to do my lines. And he was coming up with different stuff altogether. I just had to go, mm, okay. And I, you know, say something to work my way into whatever my line was going to be. Said, so, But I liked Louis Armstrong. Yeah. Danny seemed to be wound up pretty tight. Louis Armstrong was more relaxed and uh, a little bit laid back. And she just seemed like the nicest guy. Cool. So you were, it looks like the longest run you had on one particular show was McKeever and the Colonel. Yep. And you got to work with Soupy Sales on that? Yeah, Soupy Sales. I'd worked with him when I was uh, younger. Uh, He did a pilot for a series called Where There's Smokey, where he was a volunteer uh, fireman. And uh, the other star of that pilot was uh, Gail Gordon, who is another one who is on TV all the time. I worked with him on that when I was maybe eight or nine. And then I worked with him again when he was the guest on McKeever and the Colonel, where he played uh, a kind of prankster. He had his own TV show, like kind of like the Soupy Sales show. But uh, basically, he'd been a, an otter student at our academy. But actually, unbeknownst to the colonel, he was responsible for most of the pranks that had gone on while he was going to school there, but they never caught on that he was the one responsible. So working with him was a real joy because, uh, well, you know, as kids, we just loved Soupy Sales. And the nicest thing of all was after we finished doing the uh, recording of the show, after we'd finished filming, he brought all three of us to watch him tape one of his Soupy Sales shows. So it was really a treat. Yeah, he was huge in Detroit, which is where I'm from. Yeah. A legend. Soupy is a legend. Yeah, he was terrific. He was so good on different levels because you could tell. I mean, even as a kid, I realized, mm, I think he's slipping something in there for the adults <laughs> <laughs> as well as for the kids. You could just kind of tell, even as a kid. It's a, then you were in Wagon Train. I mean, you were, yeah. was, was there any shows in the 50s and 60s you weren't on? <laughs> it might be a shorter list. I definitely no, got around. But uh, the only, uh, aside from McKeever and the Colonel, which was a big break for me because I finally had a series. I didn't have to go rushing from studio to studio for interviews all the time. You know, I had a weekly gig. Also, the recognition. Suddenly, I was doing, uh, you know, interviews on radio and TV. was in the uh, Hollywood Santa Claus Lane Parade, along with the other two kids in the back of the convertible, waving to the people. You know, stuff like that. It's like you really arrive when you get a series. For the brief year of that show, it was a really big deal. It was just great opportunity to do that. One other one, I had gotten a pilot with Jane Wyman, Academy Award-winning actress, and I was playing her son, and it was going to be a weekly series. It sold. It was a really good show. We, so we had time to spend together because she was trying to make me feel comfortable with her being my mom in the series. So we got along great. And then the series actually sold, and then she backed out of the deal. I, I think what they eventually did is they turned the pilot that we did into like a TV movie. So I eventually did get to see it at least. Good. That's good. You were in the Alphabets commercial. (laughs) Yes. Oh yeah. Talk about a moneymaker. That thing was, you know, you work for a day, residuals just kept coming in and in and in. It was terrific. It was a big moneymaker and that 
put me in a better situation for waiting between roles. I had some, at least had some money coming in. That's funny. So you made most of your money just doing one day on a cereal commercial. I mean, it's, <laughs> that's yeah. Awesome. But you know what's funny about that one too is uh, I remember we had filmed it and we went to lunch in the cafeteria and uh, the Three Stooges came in. Which version of the Three Stooges? Which which version are we on it? Well, uh, with Curly Joe. So this is not Joe Besser. It's uh, Besser. It's not uh, Shemp. It's uh, Larry Moe and Curly. This is, I guess, around 57, 58, maybe. Anyway, they came in and sat down at a table. And my mom said to the waitress, do you think you could ask them if they'd come and sing happy birthday to my son? It wasn't my birthday. And she didn't say it was my birthday. She just said, well, they come over and sing the song, you know. So <laughs> good old uh, stage mother. Anyway, a minute later, they came over and they sang happy birthday to me. What was funny about that is they said, so how old are you today, Johnny? And I said, uh, nine, same as yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> I got to say, your mom was the best. I mean, it's she like was, she. We had a lot of fun. And uh, and it was not like like Gypsy Rose Lee's mom or something like that. It was it was a pretty nice, uh, nice situation. I never felt like I was being pressured into it. It was more like, let's have fun. I got that just from the couple stories that you mentioned real quick. So. <laughs> So I'm looking at a picture of a Carnation instant oh. milk ad that you did. Now that's yeah. what you should be signing. <laughs> Isn't that, you know, and I've seen it on those nostalgia sites where they are actually selling it for like 10 bucks or whatever. Yeah, I've seen that around and it's it's a pretty iconic picture, you know, and it's color. It was the whole, you know, a whole page in color in Life magazine in uh, February of 1959. So that was that was really great. Unfortunately, you know, print ads don't pay hardly anything. You basically you just sit for the uh, model for the uh, ad, and that's that. There's no residuals or anything involved in it. I am going to find that and I'm going to send it to you so you can sign <laughs> it and send it back to me. Oh yeah, it's <laughs> February two, 1959, Life Magazine. I got it. That's that would be incredible. I have a other. I have an old Campbell Soup ad. On oh. my wall. So that would look really nice right now. Yeah, <laughs> uh, oh, I like that. And it, boy, you know, it helped me too because I put that page in my little book that I showed to the casting people. I think it helped me get a few roles. And it captures exactly uh, All American Boy right there. <laughs> and it was color, you know, that was the thing. You know, I had this bright red hair, freckles, but most of the things I was doing were black and white. Didn't quite come through as much but uh later on i finally got to do a few things in color awesome and then you were on petticoat junction oh yeah that was a special one for me because i had just turned 18 and uh, that meant that i didn't have to have any guardian with me didn't have to have the three hours of school anymore it also meant that i had to take care of my own business i had to get there on time and do everything myself without relying on anybody else as it happened, I got to the studio. I was there on time, but I was having some trouble getting through the gate and parking. I ended up getting there, and I think I was a few minutes late getting onto the set, and the director was furious because who am I, <laughs> you know, to show up late? But B. Benaderet was on my side, and uh, she kind of cooled him down. 
and uh, it all went fine. Had time to explain myself a little bit. Yeah, yeah say, hey, I'm the guy from the Alphabets commercial. Yeah. Back Do you off, know who man. I am? Don't you know who I am? <laughs> Don't make me pull out this wad of Alphabet cash money from my pocket and throw it in your face. Yeah. So you you were in a band with Ed Begley Jr. Oh That's yeah, it. now that was fun. Well, what happened is uh, when I right after I graduated from high school, my next step was to uh, go to L.A. Valley College, which was uh, my high school was Grant High School, and they called L.A. Valley College uh, Grant High School with ashtrays. It was right across the street, and uh, got into the theater arts department and. I was 17, just about to turn 18, and so was Ed. Ed's about two weeks older than me. We met right away. We're both in theater arts, doing stuff together, and uh, we just hit it off right away, became really good friends. Then we had this chance, uh, another guy in our theater arts department, the nephew of Don Drysdale from the Dodgers. He, uh, Don Drysdale, was setting us up with all these gigs to play for the private parties of the Rams and the Dodgers. And uh, some other celebrities would show up too, but they were mainly at people's homes. We got to play one special gig that was very special. It was a New Year's Eve party and Sonny and Cher were among the guests and we got to back them up on a song and uh, I got you, babe. We had a few other football players, especially who got up and sang a song, you know, and it was uh, just a fun night. Ed was the drummer. I was the lead guitarist. And I don't know if you know this, but Ed later went on to be the uh, to be the drummer in uh, this is Spinal Tap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ed He's one of the drummers. Spontaneously combusts. Yeah, so we've been friends. We're still friends to this day. Was with him when he when he got his first uh, electric car, and we drove it into the to the Hollywood area from the San Fernando Valley over Coenga Pass along the Hollywood Freeway, but it would only get up to like 30 miles an hour. It was a glorified golf cart, but it was his first electric car. That's <laughs> so, so that's cool. 1970, you know. All right. Now I saved my favorite for last. Oh. So uh, the Twilight Zone. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I'm a fanatic with the Twilight uh-huh. Zone. Well, I wouldn't say I'm a fanatic. I I... I passionately love the Twilight Zone. Like oh, my that's a great series. My bookshelf, I have one third of one of my shelves is the entire DVD collection and toys and books <laughs> and the companion. And like growing up, I I was obsessed with the Twilight Zone. I love the Twilight Zone. I I even credit it to like with my comedy, like just being <laughs> like just the twist at the end. You know what I mean? Like yeah. like that that always stuck with me. Rod Serling to me is genius so i want to hear i want to hear like you're part of this you're part of this if anybody ever asked me so you were a kid actor back in those days so what did you do i always mentioned two shows one is leave it to beaver the other is the twilight zone because everybody knows those two shows working on it was great we filmed it at uh my scenes at griffith park great great park and uh of course i'm in the beginning there as the pitcher on the sandlot baseball team there along with J. Pat O'Malley, another great character actor. I worked with a bunch of times. Stephen Talbot, who is also Leave It to Beaver. Susan Gordon was a little girl. She worked in a lot of stuff. She did some science fiction stuff other than that, too. What happened is uh, we filmed a, a scene or so, the first scene where we're arguing about the uh, the baseball game and the old man, Ben, hits a home run so far away that we can't retrieve the ball, so we have to think what we're going to do next to play. And he suggests playing monsters. Before we go to do that scene, 
the little girl, Susan Gordon, gets faint. She gets really weak. It was a, I think it was a hot day when we filmed it. They decided to take her over to a clinic to have her looked at. While that's going on, we had a kind of lull. I, you've seen this episode, I'm sure. But anyway, Rod Serling is sitting on a park bench right mm-hmm. off the place where we're playing baseball. He was already sitting over there after Susan was going over for the uh, clinic. And he was just sitting there by himself. So I went over to him. The other kids didn't, but I did. I, I don't know if I was pushy, but just I wanted to meet him. So I went over and talked to him for a minute or two, sat with him on the bench. <laughs> nice guy, very soft-spoken, but very nice. And uh, I did notice I expected him to be a lot taller when he stood up. I thought he'd be a lot taller than me, but he really wasn't. He wasn't a big guy. I enjoyed doing that. And then uh, we did the other scene with where we're playing monsters. The old man, Ben, goes behind a bush and he comes out as a monster. He can change into any shape. He comes out and we shoot him and he falls, falls down. And that's when Rod Serling comes in to explain what the story is going to be about. What also got me is, thank goodness those old shows were black and white because they could get away with murder as far as costumes go. Ben's monster costume wasn't that great. (laughs) But because it was black and white, you know, you didn't get the detail that you might have gotten if it was all in color. They would have had to do a lot more work on that costume, I think, if it had been in color. It was a great one. And also Nancy Culp was in it as like the mean stepmother or a mean uh, aunt. Nancy Culp from the Beverly Hillbillies. Yeah. And playing a mean lady. That was a little different too. But anyway, like I said, years later, just last year, this company that produces those memorabilia cards contacted me. They've done series on, uh, they've done an earlier series of cards on, on Twilight Zone signed by people way back when, but they decided to do a new wave of cards from more recent, well, compared to then, more recent people who'd been on the series who were still alive to sign the darn cards. They contacted me, uh, Rittenhouse Corporation. They sent me 500 cards with my picture on it and saying Twilight Zone. They had me sign 500 cards and they, they paid me to do so. Again, that was just a little something out of nowhere. I've now got the card with my name on it, misspelled last name from that series. You, you should have insisted on a full set. Yeah, I know. I want one of those cards. You're yeah. making me jealous, John. You're just making me jealous. Yeah, I wish they, you know, and they didn't even give me any. I've got, like, I had like two extra after signing 500. That's all I ever got. And I've never contacted them about maybe just getting some to give to my friends or something, you know. The episode, just so anyone who wants to, it has CBS All Access or anything where that has all the episodes, is called The Fugitive. Yeah. And it is starring... Uh, Johnny Iman <laughs> and Jay Pat O'Malley as a alien. And one other nice thing is you can probably find that on YouTube as well. Yeah, most most of them probably are. I I happen to have uh, CBS All Access, and I think um, some of the other ones might another. There might be another streaming service that has all the Twilight Zone episodes as well. But it's nice to kind of watch. They should have a convention where they get all, all the surviving people together. I mean, you'd make a fortune. Yeah, while we're still around, I know, uh, like I said, Stephen Talbot was used to be on Leave it to Beaver, too. He also uh, signed cards for them because we're both survivors to this day. 
so many of them are no longer with us now. I'm very impressed at the amount of <laughs> television history that you, John Iman, were part of. It was very, very impressive for the amount of time that you were an actor, the impact that you made. Very cool. And you walked away being Ed Begley Jr.'s best bud. So yeah. it was pretty win-win for you. This is great. Yeah, it was a, a great experience. And, uh, you know, I know some people do have regrets about having done that as a kid. But in my case, it was pretty much a positive experience from beginning to end. Sounds like you had an amazing experience, a very supportive family structure during it. You then went, you have a guy, you got married, had some great kids, yeah. great family, doing what you love. Now, it sounds like you had it all. Married for 46 years so far. That's him for so so far. Is that what you in the room? You go so far. So far. Yeah. <laughs> Ask me after dinner. Yeah. <laughs> it's like when you like, joke around. I go you introduce. This is my first wife. <laughs> well, when I tell somebody I've been married forty six years, they say to the same person. <laughs> or is that the cumulative total? You just go well, not in a row. Yeah. <laughs> This is so much fun. I really appreciate you sharing your stories and hanging with me. Thank you so much. Same here. I've enjoyed it. So do you have a, do you hang out on social media at all? You got a Twitter, Instagram, anything? You know, I've got a bunch of stuff up on YouTube, including things, you know, little clips of shows I was on. Also, I write songs. It's been something I do on the side for many years. A lot of music uh, under John Iman. Also, I'm on Facebook under John Allen Iman, A-L-A-N. All right. Well, I'll put a link to it in the show notes so everyone can find it. Well, thanks again, John. I really enjoyed hanging with you. All right. How cool is that? So many great stories. Now that I think about it, last week's episode, episode 33, was Scott Schwartz. He was a child actor in the 70s and the 80s. This week, John Iman, a child actor in the 50s and the 60s. We got a theme going here. But you can tell like kind of the difference in, in some of the experiences that they had, but all super amazing. It's fun to talk to someone who was part of all these shows that as a kid I watched growing up. So much fun. And just as a little side note, I did find that Parnation ad in the magazine. I found it on eBay, bought it. Sent it to John. He signed it. Sent it back to me. I'll post a picture of uh, of it with this signature. It's really cool. I'm very excited for it. So that was awesome. So I hope you enjoyed that little trip down memory lane. Speaking of memory lanes, it's time to skip down the old memory lane of 2020. But Jeff, didn't you already purposely avoid that topic by making us listen to jokes you wrote in 2011? Yes, but you know what time it is. It's time for the hashtag roundup trend of the week. Yeah, that's right. It's time for the hashtag roundup trend of the week where we go to Twitter and find a fun hashtag game that was featured on hashtag roundup. Download the hashtag roundup app on iTunes or Google Play or follow us on Twitter at hashtag roundup. Tweet away with us and one day one of your tweets may show up on a future episode of the Jeff Jawaskin Show. That's right. Fame and fortune awaits you. This week's hashtag, hashtag summary of 2020 by the Catterday Funny weekly game run by my friend Cat Funny. That's right. Hashtag summary of 2020. Wrapping up 2020 in one tweet. And here we go. Hashtag summary of 2020. Masks everywhere. Which, of course, leads us to glasses always fogging up. <laughs> I live that daily. Summary of 2020. One, drank a lot. Two, gained some weight. Three, lost 
faith in humanity. <laughs> oh, man. The Lord Voldemort of years. That does summarize 2020. Pants went out of style. That's right. I think that summarizes 2020 amazingly. I'm not even wearing pants while I read this. A world full of Karens. Unfortunately, that is true as well. Summary of 2020, 81 million people shared a voice. Joe, we did it! Summary of 2020, coughing is seen as an offense if done in public. <laughs> coughing is only for private now, folks. Summary of 2020, the year we finally finished Netflix. Ah, that describes me as well. Summary of 2020, today is December 26, and yesterday was March something. <laughs> Hands have never been so clean. TP was the MVP. These are some great summaries of 2020. And I'm just going to finish with this one, which I think is the perfect hashtag summary of 2020. Unsubscribe. That's right. And those are some great 2020 summaries. Thank you, tweeters and tweetettes from the hashtag roundup game hashtag summary of 2020. Don't forget, all these tweets will be retweeted at Jeff DeWaskin Show. Follow us on Twitter at Jeff DeWaskin Show. Retweet all these tweeters. They'll also be in the show notes. Check out the show notes. Retweet them from there if that's easier for you. Also, don't forget to like and subscribe to the Jeff DeWaskin Show on any of your favorite podcast apps. Subscribe also to the Jeff DeWaskin Show on YouTube. Go to jeffisfunny.com, sign up for our mailing list. If you want to buy me a coffee, go to buymeacoffee.com slash Show. I'll drink a coffee, and I'll mention you on the air. So much great stuff. I'm wishing each and every one of you a happy, happy, happy new year. And here's to a great 2021. See you on the flip side. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Jeff Dwoskin Show with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. Now go repeat everything you heard and sound like a genius. Catch us online at thejeffdwoskinshow.com or follow us on Twitter at Jeff Dwoskin Show. And we'll see you next time.